RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 2, Episode 13, Betrayal and God Figures, researched by Richard Arnold, June 24th, 1987. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, hello again, Star Trek fans, Star Trek background fans, <laughs> all you canonistas and tech heads out there. And yes, of course, you Trekophiles with an F. Hey, we've got another great uh, show this week. Back in the TOS movie era, in the uh, middle late 80s um you know movies are a creature that they're a standalone they're unlike a series series are being pumped out the continuity is kind of there you can't avoid it movies tend to be a, a one-off creature even when so much so much of the uh the same team are working together they come along every two or three years and such is the case obviously with the original series movies and each one that from the writing and onward to the production tend to be their own their own creation. And our guest this week is back with us, who was at an interesting nexus point at the beginning of Star Trek, uh, Star Trek V. <laughs> it may be a feature that you're familiar with and had an interesting history and backstory. Take a listen to this segment from uh, his memo, actually a reply memo, and I'll be right back with our guest, Richard Arnold. To Gene Roddenberry from Richard Arnold, June 24th, 1987. I've gone through the episodes you've mentioned with regards to the subjects of betrayal and God figures. I've also added a few additional comments on the other episodes. Please let me know if this is not what you want or if you have any further questions. C.C. Leonard Mazelish and Susan Sackett. Well, Truckophiles, yes, here's a pivotal moment in Star Trek history. We all know <laughs> the troubled path and evolution of uh, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, from uh, William Shatner's original idea of a encountering God story, uh, <laughs> and all the hoops and, uh, and tortured path that that movie took. And, and it's, it's rather infamous now. There's so many parts we love to love about it, and there's a couple of aspects we love to hate. And, you know... There's an old saying in Hollywood, no one sets out to make a bad movie, and that was certainly the case here. And our guest this week, I'm thrilled to welcome back Richard Arnold from the Star Trek office. And if you missed how the Star Trek office came to be in the 80s, you might back up a few episodes and take a listen. But Richard, in his capacity as a research consultant for Gene Roddenberry, and basically Gene's right-hand man, <laughs> um, was tasked with um, weighing in on a on a subject that was going on. I guess we might call it the uh, creative dynamic of tension going on in the eighties, right, Richard? And welcome back once again. Thank you. <laughs> so why don't you say this is an interesting memo? We can see the instructions that we just heard. Why don't you tell us the backstory to what's going on here? It's nineteen eighty seven, and Star Trek Five is coming up. And what's happened so far? Well, Leonard Nimoy uh, directed three and four, mm -hmm. and he and Bill had favored nations contracts. So that meant that now it was Bill's turn, and he was going to direct, obviously, five, and if it was successful, six. And we don't need to go there. But what he wanted to make was something that was just so, to, to Gene, 
the antithesis of what Star Trek is supposed to be about. It is not about religion. And he was having the act, the characters behave in a way that they had never behaved. And we were getting into areas that Gene felt were just completely inappropriate. So he and Harv, not so much he and Bill, he and Harv, who was producing the film, um, were battling pretty badly. And Gene was determined that it couldn't make it as though there was really a god. I was going to say... It was a big problem for Gene. When I, when I say Star Trek V, we're all thinking of the finished movie. What we're talking about at the time of your... your this is a request from Gene for you oh, yeah. for some research help. Yeah. What Gene is answering back to Harv is we're talking about the first draft of this script which we're going to get to eventually here on the show, but just in general, it was the, the main antagonist, the villain of the movie, was not an alien masquerading as God. It was Absolutely, it God. was God. Right. Right. And we didn't have a character like Cybok pulling mind control tricks on people. It was the crew willingly... Happy to follow him because they're all so Christian. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on, we have definitely non-believers um, in that crew of over a thousand. But anyway, starting with Spock, I would think, yeah, just you, from, you would yeah, think just right by there, birth, you know. But that's that's what that's when from whence the springs, right? So Harv, because Gene had said, you know, the crew never mutinied against Kirk; they never betrayed him. Um, certainly the main characters, and um, we had never gotten into religion mm-hmm. in the original series. So Harv, and I don't remember if I ever knew who it was who came up with this list of episodes where people betrayed Kirk, where there was mutiny, where there was religion discussed. Mm-hmm. He sends this memo to Gene, and Gene sends it down to me and says, can you please... You know, let me know. Is he right about this? Is he wrong about this? Right. Whatever. And I went through episode by episode to say no, 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 no betrayal, no right. mutiny, no religion. And and just so again, folks, uh, if you're out there listening to us, remember you can go see Richard's reply document at our Facebook page at the Trek Files on Facebook. But what we don't have so far is uh, that first setup memo from Harv to Gene. Right. But the gist of it was. They had sent over this list of episodes as as proof or as background to where they're coming from. Support. To support to yeah. counter Gene's uh, claims. So Gene's turned to you and said, hey, can you give me some backup here? Right. And remember, pre-internet. <laughs> there was yeah. no way to just go to, yeah. you know, memory alpha and <laughs> look <laughs> stuff up. So either off the top of my head or, and this was one of the great things about working with Gene all those years, I had all of his original series scripts in my office, mm. all, all up on mm-hmm. the shelves, and I could just pull. And, and again, there Notes was, and drafts and things? Well, no, just yeah. the final scripts okay. for okay. the episode, yeah. Uh, and, and yes, you know, there would be minor changes from um, the printed script to what you saw on television, right. but very rarely was it anything major. And I certainly would have known the difference. So it was pretty easy for me to type this up. I mean, he literally had it the next day. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, that, that's why he kept me around was because I had a good memory. Um, also, uh, he said this once as I had been called down to a meeting with the writers, and he had asked me a question about something, and I had answered the question, and I was leaving. 
And one of the writers said, Gene, what's it like having your memory outside of your body walking around on two legs? And Gene said, oh, it's kind of convenient. It keeps my mind free for the important things. <laughs> sort of a compliment, I suppose. Kind of a compliment, yeah. 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 So, so, right. So basically, you, you, what he knew in his gut was that yeah. if, if there had been a quote-unquote mutiny, uh, it was the result of some, you know, Spock and the spores or whatever, right. this side of paradise. It was an outside naked time. Infl- where naked time. Exactly, where they're not acting normal. Terrible word, but <laughs> well, right, <laughs> the way they right, should. Right, yeah. right. Or the, you know, the, out of character. Yeah. Out of character. And that, that, you know, that might be a trope of 60s TV, and that was one thing they, that really the next generation onward got away from. But obviously, it had not had not been there, and so the. But the upside of this again was that that original draft, the uh, alien encountered in, in Star Trek V was was not portraying masquerading as a god. It was god. Well, exactly. how, how did that draft? Uh, we will get around to talking about this, but just for everyone wondering, how did they resolve the story if it was actually god? And uh, well, as I recall, and it's been over thirty years. Um, the resolution was that they didn't kill God. They simply got away from God. They escaped. Um, <laughs> they were able to get out um, and and left him, you know. I mean, the, the, the alien was sort of marooned on the planet, stuck there, uh, and couldn't get off. Um, I can't imagine how God couldn't have gotten off. So that's but, yeah. what God would have needed with the starship. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You don't so just ask the Almighty for his ID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were some good lines eventually. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's but that's again uh, how problematic that concept proved to be. If yeah. you're not going to get completely meta and go 2001 in some bizarre way, if you're going to the bare, the basically realistic Star Trek style, how do yeah how do you um, and and Bill was just initially just trying to find some big grand story that had not been done yet, right? Well, Star Trek meets God, yeah. I mean, I, definitely had never been done before. <laughs> Absolutely. Where no script had gone before. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, and I know uh, Harv told me back in the day that he initially walked away and didn't want to, di- didn't think it was producible, and then actually came back, Bill pro- convinced him to come back because he thought maybe his his own initial objections to that kind of a, how do you wrap your arms around that, could be, it's not so much about the God end of it. It's the journey and what we find out about ourselves and yada, yada. Okay, here's, <laughs> a, here's a story. You know, here's a story that most people don't know. Um, he didn't want to produce five because um, he kind of had it. You know, mm-hmm. the, four was so successful. Why not leave on that? How no. do you not okay. top that? Right. So he then goes to the Producers Guild to become a member. And they said, you have to have produced three films. He said, I did. Star Trek II, Star Trek Three, and Star Trek Four. And they said, no, no. You produced Star Trek Two, but on three you were the executive producer, which doesn't count. And he said, but that's, that's higher. And they said, no, only in television. In, in movies, that means you're the producer's nephew. Right. So he had to do one more in order to become a member. So he was kind of stuck Doing five didn't really want to. That's um, yeah. I, I knew the distinct the the uh, you know counterintuitive reverse distinction there between TV and film on <laughs> executives versus executive <laughs> producers. Uh, that's interesting. Well, 
Okay. So he had to make it work, and he was vested in doing so. So we all know what happened. The the logic and lofty prose of your memo is what. <laughs> what, what was the reaction? Do you remember, like in real time, what happened when you forwarded this? Well, th- there were. There I mean, were, any fan would yeah. read your memo and go, "Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah." I yeah. mean, it all you know. pretty obvious stuff. Yeah. I, again, I would love to know who it was who went through for Harv and came up with. You know, well, in this episode, they did this, and it's, it's like, wow, you must not have watched very closely. You know, you obviously didn't understand what you were looking at. Um, but, no, Harv and I had a really contentious relationship. That's putting it so mildly. There was one point where he threatened to physically beat the something out of me. And, and I can tell you what it was. I was over by stage 15 where they were filming the uh, Klingon Bridge. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to DeForest and to Bill and to Leonard. It was not a tough job, believe me. <laughs> and we're just sitting out there, and they were talking about the scene that they were about to shoot where McCoy is saying to Spock, you mean I'd have to die in order to understand your... Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, you know, which, of course, doesn't work. And D said, what do you mean? I said, McCoy has died. He died in... Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say Irene Shoreleaf, right. Um, Lance through the heart, he was dead, right? I said, where Spock never actually has died, you know, I mean, after he, he died in two, his Katra was still alive in, in mm-hmm. McCoy. So, you know, Spock has not experienced pure death as McCoy had. And what I absolutely never suspected was that D was upset enough about that that he went and talked to Harv about it. And I got called up before Harv, who was ready to climb over his desk and beat the, you know, out of me, you know, and 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 would not allow me to talk to his actors after that. Why was D upset? Because he realized that the fans would know that the line didn't work; it was wrong. Oh, that he he wouldn't have to because he had died, right? right? But right. anyway, it was just you know, D was a great guy. So I went to Gene very upset, and Gene called Harv and said, you know, don't threaten my employee or whatever, and told me, you know, talk to the actors as much as you want. They're your friends. Don't, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was it was very difficult sometimes with Harv, very difficult. Um, he felt that I owed him my job, that if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't even have a job. He actually said that. If it hadn't been for the renewal of Star Trek, oh yeah, the movie because franchise. Star Trek was a beached whale that he had rescued and breathed new life into. Oh my God, <laughs> he could be so terrible. Well, there, there's a certain amount of truth to that. I have I have a short list of five or six people over the years who have quote unquote saved Star Trek. But yeah, yeah, yeah but. It wasn't a beached whale. The first movie made so much money, despite the fact that Paramount wrote off everything mm-hmm. they could think of. You know, the, the attempt to produce the new uh, second series, the attempt to make a TV movie, the attempt to make a, a low-budget film. All of that was written off against the budget. The 1970s. Yeah, right? it was an additional, like, $20 million was added to the actual cost of making the motion picture. And it still made a lot of money. They would never have decided to make it two if the first one hadn't made money. Right. That's not how it works right. in Hollywood. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was unfair to Gene to blame him, you know, for all the overruns. That wasn't him. That wasn't yeah. him. So yeah. did did Gene and Harv they did they ever get to a mellow spot? No. Never ever. No. Uh, they got better. 
but just not. Well, no. <laughs> oh, come on. The beginning of six? You know what happened there. We, we may have to save that for another, yeah, another okay. episode. Because that's, that's, that's a great story oh my god well yeah. and, and uh, well that's in short we're talking about this this the starfleet academy script that didn't happen and and all well, of that right what what right because harv yeah. wasn't involved in six as it turned out well he was going to be until they had the battle royale <laughs> i'll call it we'll have to say that yeah. for another time we will have to make say a that. note somewhere okay richard you talked me into it we'll have you back okay okay <laughs> That's but all thanks, this was about. Yeah. Thanks once again, though, for this. This, uh, but it, and this memo again is kind of indicative of the kinds of oddball but very necessary things that functions that you were providing, the tasks and services that you're providing there in the Star Trek office, as uh, Star Trek was inventing what future media and future franchises would look like. Yeah, it, it, you can imagine. You're a pioneer, Richard. Yeah, I'll you give you one quick story before we uh, end this okay. one. Um, Eddie Murphy was making a film. In which, and he was a huge Star Trek fan. Right. In which he wanted his character to be walking past a room that had a television on. And he wanted to be able to stop and look at it and say, and title the episode. Just like that. As part you know, of the character. As his character was that big a fan that he recognized it after a couple of seconds. And and his writers called me and said, he wants to use the episode where Kirk is making love to a woman who turns into a monster and tries to kill him. And I said, doesn't exist. <laughs> and they're like, no, no. Eddie said it's, it's, you know, she's green. And I'm like, no, no, no. She, she tries to kill him, but she doesn't turn into a monster. There's two different episodes. He's thinking of, you know, episode six. And okay. Anyway, so Eddie gets on the phone and he says, do you know what I'm talking about, man? Come on. So I say, Eddie, you're thinking of two different things combined. So his, oh, my God, his writing staff had to go through 79 episodes to to see. They would not believe you. No, they wouldn't they, believe me. They believed him. Um, he had and, the money then to pay people. Yeah, well, he had the whole hours. top of the DeMille building at that point. Um, and, and they finally accepted that I was right, that it was the two different episodes that they were talking about. <laughs> and so they, they used um, the one from uh, Mantrap. Okay, so um, <laughs> if it was today... On the internet, tick, tick, right, tick, right. you know, seconds. Right. I can't imagine how many hours of, of time they had to spend trying to figure that out. 79 hours of watching episodes. Right. If that's what they did. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, fortunately, we can still sit here and, um, and, and relish that. But then, you know, you, it's not all. There's another famous line. It's not all on the internet. So No, true. The human adventure is still beginning oh absolutely <laughs> richard thanks a lot and we will uh, we'll be talking to you down the road all right thank you the trek files is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry additional production by ken ray all documents are available at facebook.com slash the trek files for more great podcasts check out podcast.roddenberry.com and for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at LarryNimichek.com. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.